Grace Tame channels Australian women, COVID deaths spiking, Australia and Survival Day, plus good news on rivers. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday on this, the 26th of January, 2022. I'm joined by the great, the glorious, the matching t-shirt wearing... <laughs> we are totally wearing matching t-shirts. Van Batham. How are you this afternoon, Van? Well, you know I'm very tired, Ben. Indeed, because you have worked today. I have. I did work today because I feel very uncomfortable about Australia Day and I had the opportunity to work, so I took it. I've got this really... I hate the the feeling of wanting so much to love my country and celebrate all that's good about it and being forced at the same time to celebrate a genocide of innocent people. Like I just don't want to, I don't want one to oblige the other. So I had the opportunity today to work and I did work and I'm really glad I did because my labour power is the most powerful thing I have and I'm not going to withdraw my labour part, my labour power um, in order to to affirm something that I don't support, which is the I support the idea of an Australia Day. Yeah. I really want us to have an Australia Day that's for all Australians because I love this place and it's my home and there are things about this place that are so good that they should be celebrated. And I can say that as somebody who's lived all over the world. But I'm not going to do that on the bodies of First Nations Australians. I'm just, I'm not. Absolutely. And we acknowledge that wherever we are recording the week on Wednesday, we are on Aboriginal land. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We don't tell you exactly where we record from. Uh, That's partly for our own safety, uh, as you can imagine, but we do absolutely acknowledge that. And we will talk more about today and its significance and and the shifting attitudes around this particular day later on in the episode. But you can tell everybody what work I've been doing. Well, you have been. You, I mean, you can just drop that into the conversation. I mean, that might be. <laughs> well, I think people want to know. I think people are interested in what work you've been doing because it, it's actually you've been doing the recording for the audiobook version of Q and On and On. Yeah. A short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults. Yes, there's an audiobook. We even have a launch date, people. March 11th. I got literally 500 inquiries from people going, is there going to be an audiobook? Can I get an audiobook? I'd really like an audiobook. So guess what? It worked. And I'm doing the audiobook <laughs> and it's most been the most bizarre thing to be in this little studio in Melbourne uh, listening to the sound of my own voice for the past few days. <laughs> it's so funny because I don't realise how fast I talk and apparently that's an issue. So, listeners of this podcast, thank you for your forbearance. In the book, I tend to speak in a much slower and clearer way, but I have done lots of funny character voices for people in the book who I don't like. Um, so, I'm sure people enjoy that. I have had people ask me in the past whether we record at double speed, <laughs> which is always interesting. We don't record at double speed. If this does come across too quickly for you, do check your podcast player. I'm sure there's a way for you to slow it down. Most of them have that. Or if you're one of those people that does like it at double speed, just speed it up just a little bit more and you'll get there. Um, We also want to give a shout out to all of our new listeners in 2022. Van, I've been amazed at, at how many new people have come to the week on Wednesday since we had the Christmas break. I thought... Oh, it'll take a month or two before we get up to where we were before we went on Christmas. But we've got more people downloading and more listeners now than we've ever had. And, of course, we launched our uh, Buy Me A Coffee, our page where people can make a contribution to the cost of running the show and promoting it. And we have over 100 people who have very graciously made a regular monthly contribution and a commitment to do that. People have made one-off contributions as well, for which we are also extremely grateful. Yeah, thank you so much, because this is not a a resource-free enterprise as much as we would love it to be, and uh, your help helps us to reach other people and spread the word. And, of course, 
there are like people have had conversations with us going, I'd love to give you money and I don't have any. Um, that's totally fine. Like the point of us doing this is to, to get the word out, to talk about the issues the way we talk about them and for there not to be a financial barrier there. And if you like the show and want to contribute, you can also just tell people to listen to it, suggest it to people, share the links. That is That just makes our day. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the podcast will always be free to listen to and to download. Uh, and for those who do make a contribution, you know, you should know that your contribution helps that reality to continue. So we really appreciate that. And everybody who's listened to the show, shared the show, everybody who's jumped online and joined their union as well. It's been really great to my see. My favourite messages right? are the- I listened to your show and now I've joined my union and it's amazing. And I'm like, yes. Another email today, literally just before we started recording, got an email today from someone, you know, I haven't responded to you yet. You've, you've asked me a number of uh, in-depth questions about politics. Hopefully we'll get to that before the uh, before the end of the week. Uh, but the thing that really struck me was since listening to your show, I've joined my union um, and it's been a really great experience. And now I have all these other questions about politics and what can I do and how can I get more involved? I love it. I live for it. It's so great. Look, Van, you've written a fantastic article in The Guardian today. Why, thank you, Ben. Uh, Why, thank you. I understand it is the most viewed article on The Guardian. Uh, Well, it was just before we came uh, to record this afternoon. You're flirting with me now. Uh, Outside of the blog, the the Guardian Live blog is always... uh, I must admit, I have that running in the background. I think everybody does. Uh, But your article was certainly the number one article on the site. Uh, And, of course, it was about Grace Tame's interaction yesterday, her final day as Australian of the Year, when she was invited to a morning tea with Prime Minister Scott Morrison uh, and the photos and the video footage of that encounter as she was arriving, uh, of course, have gone viral. The, The photos have gone viral. The, the, the articles that have been written about it have gone viral. Uh, some articles attacking Grace Tame, obviously. Some articles expressing solidarity. Some analysing the the entire thing. But Van, you know, the listeners are not here listening for my take on this. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. So tell us, what is this about? Why has this come about? And what does it tell us about the state of play in politics in Australia? Well, to give some context on who Grace Tame is and what she represents, people know that she's Australian of the Year. People also know that she's a survivor advocate. And she became... Uh, she was the Tasmanian of the year for participating in this rather incredible campaign called Let Her Speak. There's a quirk in uh, criminal disclosure laws in Tasmania where uh, men who or perpetrators who had convictions for uh, crimes of sexual violence were allowed to name themselves by the the victims of those acts of violence, even if convictions had been granted, weren't allowed to identify themselves in public and tell their stories. Mm. It was really strange. And Grace Tame and a woman called Nina Fennell, who's also a survivor, they teamed up, Nina's a journalist, and they ran a campaign called Let Her Speak, which was about removing this law and enabling enabling survivors to tell their stories. And the, the argument for the law, if I, if I remember correctly, was that it, it was was aimed at stopping the perpetrators and other people naming the victims and shaming the victims, but it did capture the actual victims as well. And, of course, that totally defeat, like it makes the victims in an even worse position. Yeah, it silenced the victim experience. And so that was successful, the campaign that she ran. And... Her, her backstory, which she has spoken about, is horrendous. Like, she was um, a high school student, she was a child, and she was groomed and abused by a pedophile teacher. Now, the reason why this is significant, and especially in significant in the context of Australian of the Year and Australia Day Honours, is her rapist uh, gave an 
infamous interview to Bettina Arndt. Mm, mm. So Bettina Arndt was sort of like a 70s, like, sex guru person who wrote, you know, books about making love for men, making love for women, whatever, and, you know, was sort of notorious back in the day. And she sort of stayed in the right-wing media ecosystem and she's become later in life a men's rights activist. Right. And Bettina Arndt does, you know, podcasts and various things herself. And she interviewed the rapist who bragged about what he had done to Grace Time. And Bettina Arndt's reaction was to giggle and and talked about how she just saw, you know, these poor male teachers who were just so vulnerable to the seductive behaviour of children and that it was just so hard for adults to restrain themselves. And at no point did Bettina Arndt ever contact Grace Time or, you know, speak yeah. about she and promoted this guy. And this is all relevant because this is, I mean, this is all a matter of record. It's yeah. horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And as far as I'm concerned, no one should ever have listened to a word Bettina Arndt had to say about anything ever again. Like I cannot think of anything more like just like as a like a an act of complicity so absolutely devoid of humanity or like of negative infinitely negative we're, moral value we're cancelling Bettina Art there will be no Bettina Art interviews on the week on Wednesday but that's is, for sure but this is the thing like two years ago Bettina Arndt received an order of Australia for her services as a men's right activist she had platformed a pedophile yeah so and she received that on a after that interview yeah she yeah. received it afterwards it yeah. wasn't beforehand I mean it was disgusting and yeah. I wrote about it at the time just going this is just beyond disgraceful and that is the context that had been established around the order of mm. Australia, the Australia Day Honours System, and a lot of criticism about who is giving these awards out. When, of course, last year, Grace Tame becomes Australian of the Year. Well, she wasn't there to, you know, bake pies and smile. She was there to talk about the issues of gendered violence and survivorship and, you know, the rights of women and the experiences that she'd had. She's been a very powerful advocate. And, of course, this has happened in the context this year of the allegations made by Brittany Higgins about being sexually assaulted in Parliament House, about the Jenkins report that took all those horrendous reports about the culture of, like, sexism and gender-based violence in Parliament House, the Respect at Work report. Like, there's there's been a, a movement in Australia to actually reckon with this horrible mm. underbelly of gender-based violence that exists under our community. And it's, you know, it's sexual assault and it's family violence and it's intimate partner violence and elder abuse and the gender intersection of all of these things. And Grace Time has been a really committed advocate and hasn't just been having cups of tea. She's been speaking out against these well, issues. She and um, uh, led, really, the, the Women's March. The March for Justice. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And she marched on Parliament House with an army of women, which is exactly what I want from my Australian yeah. of the Year. Like, that's what you do. That's the point. And I think it's interesting. Like, she sort of represents um, what... Rosie, like Rosie Batty, to my mind, really started. I mean, used to Australian of the Year used to be like Pat Cash and Nicole Kidman, and it was mm. all very fancy. But when Rosie Batty, who was a whose son had been murdered by her former partner in the most yeah, horrendous, horrendous act of violence just imaginable, she was she took on the role as a powerful advocate, going with this platform. I will be speaking out about these issues, and certainly that mantle was really picked up by Grace Time. Mm. I mean, her speech accepting the award last year was extraordinary. But in the context of that, and specifically that, and I keep using the word context because there's there's a lot more going on than just what happened yesterday. After she gave that incredible speech, Scott Morrison, who was there a year ago, obviously, as Prime Minister, turned to her and went, well, gee, I guess it felt good to get that out, as if she'd just complained about getting a parking fine. Yeah. You know, this unbelievable teeny dismissal. And this is in the context of appalling behaviour from Scott Morrison around the issues of gender-based violence affecting his own party. Like, well, there are criminal investigations taking place that we're not going to go into the details of because they are before the courts. Mm, mm. 
but a consistent pattern of atrocious behaviour and a cultural a cultural of excuses and denial and the rest of it. I mean, when that march took place, the March for Justice took place, Scott Morrison gave a speech in the parliament and said the women who attended were lucky that they weren't met by bullets, which I don't really think we would understand as taking the criticism on board. That's not really what that's about. The The excuses he has made for the atrocious behaviour of some of his cabinet members, when Brittany Higgins made the allegations about her assault, the response of Linda Reynolds, who's a minister in the Morrison government, mm. was to call Brittany Higgins a lying cow. And that came out and Reynolds admitted to doing it and said she was just like under heaps of stress and pressure at the time. It's really hard. And Scott Morrison was like, well, that's good enough for me. And it's like she should have been demoted immediately. But... Morrison also promoted Amanda Stoker, who's that mm. individual from Queensland on the family friendly podcast. And Amanda Stoker had campaigned for Bettina Arndt's right to go around um, to go around the company claiming there was an epidemic of false rape claims. And Amanda Stoker was backing in Bettina Arndt. Bettina Arndt, who had platformed Mm. The man who raped Grace Tame as a child. And, and, of course, we've seen Alan Tudge get promoted as well and only recently have to stand aside from his portfolio as education minister. Andrew Lamming's behaviour? Yeah. Like, yeah. absolutely off the chart. And what has Morrison done? Why would Grace Tame think he was any kind of champion of women? And you were going to talk about the Respect at Work report. Well, yeah, because I think that what you've what you've really clearly outlined for us is the context of of where we are right now, and really. In 2021, there were opportunities for Morrison to take real action on some of these issues, not just the ones within his own party, but from a governmental perspective, right? The Respect at Work report came out. There were 55 recommendations. He gave a press conference where he said that they'd be taking them all up and then didn't <laughs> and and has been called out on not taking them all up. Some of them really significant. Like one of the really significant, I mean, they're all significant, but one of the ones that sticks out in my mind is the onus on the employer to ensure that sexual harassment doesn't happen in the workplace, basically making sexual harassment a workplace health and safety issue. And I think a lot of Australians would assume that it already is, but it, it's not covered in that way. And the recommendation was to make it a, an onus on the employer to do everything possible to prevent, not just clean up afterwards, but prevent sexual harassment, sexual assaults um, in the workplace. He hasn't done anything on that. And I think when you think about the fact that he also hasn't brought in things like paid um, family domestic violence leave, which the union movement has campaigned for, and again, which was a recommendation that should be part of the national standards. You know, they take a lot of credit for, for giving people uh, family domestic violence leave, but it's unpaid. So you can take unpaid leave. Like you're allowed, it, it's such a, it's such a Dickensian way of thinking about things. You're allowed to take a few days off unpaid, of course, if you're being beaten up at home or if you've got a family violence issue. Um, if so you're you trying to find emergency accommodation because your partner is stalking you. Yeah. So you can you can have you a can do of- that at your own expense. What you should do is save your pennies, Millicent. It's really, and that, I mean that you know, totally ignores the concept of financial abuse and financial control and coercive control and all the things we know that happen in relationships that would prevent Millicent from being able to save. Right, as as, you, as we all know, and. And so it's in that context where you've got the union movement still campaigning, still saying, we won't wait. You've got Grace Tame campaigning right up to the last moment of having her platform, having used her platform to set up a foundation. All of these things have gone on. And to rightly criticise the Prime Minister. Like, she came out against the promotion of Amanda Stoker. Like, she called him out, called out his complicity in this kind of, like, appalling behaviour. And in, in that context... 
you know, her duty as Australian of the Year was to attend the morning tea with the other dignitaries, not just the Prime Minister. This was at the Lodge. This wasn't... She didn't go to the Morrison family home in the Shire. This was at the Lodge in Canberra. This was... They don't live in the Shire, Ben. They live at Kirribilli House. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the Waterfront Palace. It was the sprawling palace in Canberra. Like... It was the official residence. It was an official function. She was executing her official duties. Now, I know for a fact, Van, that you, like I, have had to do official duties in our work capacity that we haven't always enjoyed. And if we've had to do them and we haven't enjoyed them, we've got them done. Doesn't mean we're there to smile about it. And I've got to say, in the context of everything we know about Grace Tame's year, as Australian of the Year. You girls are lucky you weren't met by bullets. In all of that context, Grace Tame showed up, shook hands, stood there, was, was polite. Extremely polite. Didn't didn't grandstand, didn't stand on a soapbox and go, this is what I want to say. Didn't detract from the incoming Australian of the Year's right to speak. Didn't do any didn't do any of the things that the right-wing male media commentators are trying to insinuate she did by not smiling. What she did was not smile. Yeah, she didn't smile. Uh, She lowered her eyes. That's literally all that happened. She shook his hand. Mm -hmm. She made small talk with the Prime Minister's wife. She did all the things she was expected to do. But uh, a photo has appeared and some video footage appeared of her looking... Frankly, Ben, fundamentally unimpressed. Yeah. And do you know I think that's why they're upset? I think that women, particularly in that situation, but anyone, is supposed to be overawed by the authority and the majesty of the position of the Prime Ministership and all the props and costumes that go on around that. And I think the reason why these men from the right have just lost their pants about it is because she just looks so unimpressed. And, you know, she has a right to look unimpressed. She really does. not, Not just because of his failures, and there are many, as we have already outlined, but because this is a parliamentary democracy. This is not... A monarchy. This is. I passed the parcel where one of the prizes is being king. Yeah, this is not a, a, a an elected dictatorship. You know, this is not even an American style. We elect a president. We offered it to George Washington for life. In fact, we offered to make him king. He said, no, nah, that's not quite right. I don't really enjoy the job. It's not even that kind of, you know, imperial presidency. This is a parliamentary democracy. The prime minister is the first minister. They are first among equals. That's how it's supposed to work. Cabinet democracy. The way that the Liberal Party over a long period of time have reshaped our democracy to make it this kind of... King-ish. Grotesque. And I say king-ish deliberately because we all know that there's not going to be a queen of the Liberal Party in (laughs) any hurry. But, you know, at the same time, more than happy to undermine... People like Julia Gillard. Oh, of course. Ordinary people. It's a natural women in power, isn't it? Who have extraordinary She was deliberately barren. Remember that? Deliberately oh, barren. Remember? And the fruit bowl. And the, you yeah, know, and let's put her in a chaff bag and throw her out to sea. We haven't forgotten, Alan. Haven't forgotten. They're just, it's, it is outrageous that they demand the kind of trappings of, of Imperium at the same time as then they attack this woman who has been attacked by men, who as a child was attacked by a man, who was who whose attacker was allowed a platform to brag about the cruelty and torture he inflicted on a child's body. Let's just let's just sit with that. And then we're now in this ridiculous Situation, Like, I just wanted to say my the instant thought I had yesterday watching the right kick off about, mm. like, it, literally her pose. That's really what they're upset about, that she looked unimpressed in her pose. All I could think was, he's not the Pope, love. She doesn't need to genuflect. Like, it was just 
so ridiculous. And of course, the Liberal Senator James McGrath, who I would struggle to pick out of a lineup, and I actually follow politics, he decided she was childish and this was appalling. If she was going to behave like this, he scolded her. She shouldn't go. And then there was Peter Van Onselen. Oh, Peter, what are you doing? Who um, had an op ed out within about 15 minutes where he was claiming that. Oh, that this was just terrible and offensive and... Yeah, she didn't want to be there. She just shouldn't have gone. Yeah, you know, women, if you find society unfair, just don't participate in it. Yeah, no, that's not how this works. It's It was just... And he defended that position on the project. He doubled down. Night. And Amy Ramikas, who's another survivor of sexual violence, yeah. she was just like, what on earth is this what are you defending and and i tweeted about it last night saying you know it's really interesting and i hope i live long enough to see the day where men who will give such tender sympathy and kindness towards other men accused of rape might direct some of that sympathy and kindness to the women it is proved beyond shadow of a doubt have survived it yeah and th- this is what I just couldn't – my brain actually struggled to comprehend what was going on. I was just like, really? That's who you're attacking? That woman is who you're attacking. And I think it's a real indictment, you know, that people like PVO who hold these positions – He holds zillions of positions. It's like lots of positions, lots of political positions, lots of political commentary positions um, – you know, with Channel 10 and with uh, The Australian, obviously, uh, and in, in universities, particularly around WA. And and yet his insight into what happened yesterday was that she was rude and childish. You know, that is so pathetic an analysis of what happened. And I compare and contrast that to your article today, Van, where you just eviscerate the, uh, Morrison because you you put it in the context of the last year and in the broader context of, of the last kind of decade of what's been happening politically, what's been happening with women's rights and women's issues in this country, and, and you actually analyse power and, and the the power behind the politics. And I go, how is it that someone like PVO is on the television every day? He's like a professor. He's got a professorship from UWA in politics or something. I really... And he's literally there scolding, scolding, like a school teacher from the 19th century, Grace Tate, for her behaviour because she should smile more. It's like if you had any understanding of power and and politics, you would look at what happened there and you would you would come to the conclusion that Morrison is desperate, desperate in his political life at the moment. And he wanted a positive, happy, smiley photo. And Grace Tame is not prepared to be complicit in that. No, she isn't. And that's a hugely, hugely important exercise of power. She was the Australian of the Year at the time, and she was not prepared to be used as a political prop for a man whose polling numbers with women are in the basement. Let's face it. Oh, I really would like you all to read my piece because I I went full semiotician, which is obviously what I'm trained in is semiotics, which is, you know, the symbols through which we communicate signs and gestures. Anyway, um, one thing I just really want to ram home which I mentioned in the article, is that no one understands power like a rape survivor. And the idea that those boys, whether it's Scott Morrison or PVO or that no-name from Queensland, would think that they would somehow be able to take ownership of Grace Tame or Dentra Brand or whatever, you know, in these bully boy performances they put on and that's really what they are like the old apparatus of authority there's a quote that i believe is very wise and it is you can't under if you want to understand hunger you have to be hungry and the only way to understand power is not to have it and grace time 
learned that lesson when she was a young, vulnerable, abused child. And the idea that they think that they can somehow hurt her or silence her or divert her, it's like she has been through the worst experience that a human being can go through and she has survived. She is still here. She is not broken. She is a public advocate for a community of people who have survived. Mm. So if you think that you can land blows on her now, like your arrogance really will be your end. And that I think was very clear to the Australian population yesterday. There isn't a survivor of sexual violence in this country who does not feel direct kinship with Grace Time. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, look, I think there's obviously, sadly, still a long path for us to go down as a country before we deal with all of the issues that we're talking about now around violence against women, around sexual harassment, sexual assault in the workplace, in the home, in schools, in all sorts of institutions. Progress is being made and it's thanks to people like yourself and Grace Tame and many, many others who do so much great work here. I also want to just remind people that there is a lot of work going on particularly around the workplace aspects of this and the We Won't Wait campaign, which I know the Australian Services Union, the SDA, the Nurses Union, the United Workers Union, the Australian Unions, the ACTU are all very, very much pushing, as are many, many others. Uh, And I'd really encourage people to join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, and get involved in some of those campaigns because... With leaders like Morrison in power, we do have to do this workplace by workplace, town by town, state by state, winning where we can to make improvements. And there are committed, passionate trade unionists, men and women, who are doing this work uh, and who are supporting people like Grace Time. Yeah. And, and you see that. You see Grace Time do do events where she's talking with women from the trade union movement. Big shout-out here to Jessica Mundy, the Secretary of um, Unions Tasmania, who I know listens to the show. Who and, we love. We love you, And, Jessica of course, Mundy. Grace is from Tasmania, and I know um, Jess and Grace uh, have shared a platform before on these issues, um, and the work you're doing down there is just really... It's nation-leading in a lot of ways, so we really want to give our respect to you there. Van, as I say, I think we could talk about this forever, uh, but we do need to move on because, sadly, COVID is still with us as well. Yep. And uh, some, some... Really, we've just finished this segment on the incompetent in the on the incompetence of the Morrison government. We're now going to move on to another segment about the incompetence of the Morrison government. And and this is really uh, <sighs> this is sort of the news that I never expected to have to talk about. Uh, but our our death rate in Australia from COVID has spiked, suffering more deaths from COVID per million people than Brazil. Great. Oh, great. Really well, well well, handled, everyone. So we are now in a situation where we as a, you know, prosperous Western nation, all these resources, all of this power are now running a more lethal COVID response than Bolsonaro's Brazil. Yeah. Look, this is the average daily death rate per million people. Obviously, the overall death rate is higher in Brazil. I want to be clear about that. But where we are right now today, where we've been for a week, where we're likely to be, 
it, for the foreseeable, according to chief chief health officers around the country, uh, means that we are in a worse position than Brazil is right now. And it is... I don't think I can even process that. I just don't understand why we squandered all the advantages that we had. I don't understand why Dominic Perrottet just decided to walk away from everything that had been working. I don't understand why Scott Morrison didn't order enough vaccines in time. I don't understand why Scott Morrison d- decided that it was like that it was preferable to let some opportunistic free marketeers profit from rats than the government to sell, to supply them to the people. I don't get it. Like I mean, I know our values are different and whatever. But either you love this community or you don't. And if you love this community, you don't want people to die of coronavirus. Well, I think I think you've answered your own question in a way because ideologically they don't believe in community, right? Like oh, that's right. I forget. Yeah, just Thatcher said it. Yes, there is no society, only individuals. Yeah. And yet society somehow continues to exist. Yeah. How do you possibly get through the day by doing mental gymnastics like that? How do you pretend the things that are in front of you? are not in front of you. What kind of an act of will does that take? How do you have the energy to eat your breakfast? It, well, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't fathom it either, Van, because the cost is real. Like, the cost is real both economically but more importantly in human lives. You know, our death rate... In grief, we pay the price for this mismanagement and incompetence in grief... And it's getting worse. So just this week, Monday, 58 people died in Australia with COVID. Tuesday, 76. When I pulled together the numbers for today's episode, I only had numbers for Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania, and we're already at 77. The numbers are getting worse. The grief is getting more. It's getting deeper. There are 8.6% of our hospital beds are full with people with COVID. That's up significantly in the last two weeks. Remember when we were talking about it being 6%? Well, now it's 30% more than that. It's growing and it's a problem. Now, all the talk about, oh, case numbers have peaked and all the rest of it. Hospitalizations are still going up. Deaths are still going up. They're predicted to keep going up. But we keep hearing, you know, the the experience of the pandemic is hearing, you know, willful thinking, like as if the virus can be defeated by the power of positive thought or we can just chant some affirmations in front of the mirror. Oh, it doesn't affect children. No, it affects children. Oh, you know, Omicron is mild. Omicron is not mild. Oh, we're definitely going to reach a peak. Like we keep going in these cycles and these these suppositions become news stories and are reported as if they're established facts because people just want them to be true. You know, that we can open up and everything will be fine and the war will be over by Christmas. And it's it's not. We have to start. Look, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here, but maybe, maybe that's the role I was born for, frankly, the Debbie Downer of the year. But maybe the way to approach this from an onset framework perspective is considering the worst possible scenario that maybe if the worst possible scenario is what we automatically presume will happen, we could minimise the damage. Well, yeah, I think you're right, Pam, because, the you know, Morrison's announcement that pensioners and veterans would get access to free rats has has not come to pass. Uh, no. So and that, was due, on Twitter, that was due to start this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you'll be able to get free rats. You'll be able to get them, pensioners, veterans, yeah. all these people. Well, how interesting to follow our friends on Twitter who are trying to get those free rats that they're entitled to. And surprise, 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 they can't find them. And this is what I love about Twitter. I mean, social media is awful and has unnaturally aged me. But also, you can actually map the failure. So we've had friends in Townsville, in Sydney, in Nara, all over the country going, where are the rats? Yeah. We are entitled to them. And yet we go to these pharmacies and they are not there. 
Mark Bailey, who's a Labor MP from Queensland, who's the one who's been kicking off about how Queensland Rail had organised these rats that were requisitioned by the government, the government had denied referring people to the ACCC. Mark Bailey actually published a list of all the pharmacies in his electorate, in mm. his state electorate. None of them had them. Well, most of them don't. I mean, you know, the pharmacies that... And we're um, not blaming the pharmacies. No, no. And the Let's be very clear. Was, That's not where the blame lies here. No, I was I was in a pharmacy just last week, just at the end of last week, and they were, there was a woman there in front of me whose husband is a veteran and on a DVA gold card and was asking the pharmacy, oh, how will I get free rats? And they just said, we don't know. We've got no information about it. We've got no supply. We've only just been told we have to find the supply ourselves and then somehow or another they're going to reimburse us. We haven't been told how that will work. Frankly, we don't really want to do it. We just, we don't even know how it's going to work. We'd love to do it. We'd love to just be able to go, yep, no problem. We've got a box of them. Here you go. But it's not going to be like that. And sure enough, here we are, and it's not like that. At the same time, you know, Samantha Maiden had a really good article in news, on news.com about the newly minted millionaire rats moguls. You know, the rats rats. The, rat, the rats of the rat race, who Morrison has created. You know, three weeks ago, literally three weeks ago to the day yesterday, he said he did not want to interfere in the market and he would not, he would not, deny retailers the opportunity to sell rats because that would be interfering in the marketplace. Well, he has interfered in the marketplace because he has now created millionaires. These companies that have existed for less than 12 months have been awarded massive Commonwealth contracts, $25, $30 million contracts to supply rats to the Commonwealth and all of the stuff around it being redirected from others and orders taken off is these import these importers, right? These millionaires. That's what they've become. The ideology that Morrison professes to not interfere in the market and all this sort of stuff, you've got to get out of the way and let free enterprise reign. It's not about free enterprise. This was never about free enterprise. No, this- you can't have free enterprise in a pandemic. No, you, well, you can't. Not when it comes to medical testing. Not when it comes to medical equipment Not and when it comes to labour shortages and people trying not to die or people dying or people being sick. And all the reasons why we invented government in the first place was to stop societies from collapsing because everybody just went off piste on their own little personal ski trip. And, and let's be clear about this too, right? Like the idea, oh, because the market's so good at making sure there's always bread on the shelves. By the way, there's not always bread on the shelves and there wasn't always bread on the shelves before the pandemic either. In a lot of places, if you got to the bakery afternoon, you probably weren't getting any bread. Putting that to one side for a moment. I just want us to take a moment to acknowledge that Scott Morrison has managed the coronavirus in such a way that he's managed to enrich capitalists with our money at the same time of forcing us to live in Soviet-style shortages. That truly is a magnificent marriage of the worst of both systems. Well done, son. And it gets it gets a bit worse, Van. And oh, great. Van, that's <laughs> because NDIS participants were told they can use their NDIS funding to buy rats. Now, the NDIS funding is so that people who are living with a disability can get the support they need to live their life, to live their best possible life, to to seek employment if they can, to do therapy, to get out of bed, to have the support they need to live their life. There was a story where a woman was spent, had spent $1,300 in the first three weeks of 2020 having rat tests for her workers who had to come in to help her every day because she requires that level of support. You start to take that money out of people's support packages, you will massively diminish their capacity to live their best possible life. So, Ben, tell me, who was the Morrison government minister who came up with the brilliant, you can spend your NDIS money on rats? Oh, that, would be, that would be Linda Reynolds. That would be Linda Reynolds, who called Brittany, Brittany Higgins a lying cow. Oh, there you go. Yes. But, of course, Linda Reynolds was having a really bad day. She was just having a really bad day, Ben. And it's not just, it's not just in the NDIS. 
right? No. It's all over the place. In aged care? Oh, aged care. Don't tell me aged care is an absolute unmitigated disaster of incompetence and mismanagement. Well, last week we talked about how unions and employers were keen to have the army come and help. Well, They were asking the government to send the army. And the the government has met with them but has not yet acquiesced to those requests. Well, maybe a crisis will come up then any minute now. Any minute now. Any minute now. Because a crisis has come up. Aged care facilities in South Australia are writing to residents and the families of residents saying that rats are more valuable than liquid gold and they have no faith in the Morrison government to provide them. So if you want to come and visit, you're going to have to do your own rat tests and and provide your own. And we're doing everything we can, but the lockdowns are continuing. There's over a thousand aged care facilities around the country in lockdown. People are locked in a room. Like, I want to be really clear about this. This is not people are unable to leave the facility. People are unable to leave a bedroom. That's what it is. It's people with dementia, high care needs, people who require constant support and nursing, people who can't leave their bed to go to the toilet without support are not able to leave their rooms because of what's happening in our aged care system. It is an absolute disgrace. We, we know that the workers, the, the unions, the peak bodies are all crying out for support. They've, we covered it last week. We said they needed the army to come in and help. That hasn't happened. They asked the government to send in the army for logistical support because staff shortages and the situation was so complex. And these are people who go into these professions because they care about the people they look after. This is why we call them care professions. And yet, Van, one of the most enraging things came to light this week, and that is that the aged care minister in the Morrison government... Richard Colbeck. ...was asked to front the COVID response committee, the Senate COVID response committee... Chaired by Katie Gallagher. ...to talk about what the Morrison government was doing in aged care, how they were dealing with the crisis, so that we could get a better understanding of where things are up to and where we will get to in the near future. Minister Colbeck wrote back going, I'm awfully busy dealing with the COVID crisis, but I'll arrange a time for the department to give you a briefing. But I can't attend on the 14th or the 15th or the 16th of January. Very busy days, Ben. Because Richard Colbeck was at the cricket in Hobart. It has come to light because he has had to declare that he got free tickets to attend an ashes test. Now, I don't begrudge people using their leave. I don't even begrudge an ordinary everyday person chucking the odd sickie to go and enjoy an Australian national team play. Mental health day, Ben. Totally. Actually, that is important. Totally. As the person with major depressive disorder in the room, like taking a day off is sometimes very necessary for mental health. Totally, totally, totally. That's not what this is. No, that's not. That's not what this is. This is a Commonwealth minister who has lied to a Senate committee to get out of being held accountable for the current disaster that's happening in our aged care system. And not only has he lied to avoid scrutiny and accountability, he has then flaunted his lie by going off to the cricket. It's not that he just stayed home and kept a low profile. He accepted corporate hospitality. And I'm going to guess these weren't bodgy seats up the back somewhere. I'm going to suggest to you that probably Minister Colbeck got the full royal treatment. Free food, free drinks. I mean, you're guessing. Three days. You're guessing. I am guessing. I am guessing. And I'm happy for Minister Colbeck to write to me and tell me in detail. That he was up the back with half a cold pie and a Mars bar. More than happy to receive that letter. And do you know what? You can send it. Even if he was, it's still not all right. It's still not all right. We are in a crisis in this country. Aged care is in a crisis in this country. The most vulnerable Australians. And the minister 
is swanning off. Now, he has today defended that. He has defended that. Instead of resigning, instead of resigning, he has defended that. Now, let's be really clear what this means. This means the Minister for Aged Care doesn't care. Doesn't care. So he's the Minister for Aged doesn't care. Doesn't care about our elders, doesn't care about our workforce. Doesn't care about the families of that workforce or the families of those elders, which tends to indicate that he doesn't really care about Australians because once you factor in all those family members, that's a hell of a lot of people to disenfranchise. It is a disgrace. He should have resigned. How angry did it make you? Well, as someone whose stepmother is in a lockdown care facility, who is not allowed to leave her room, who did leave her room and because of the shortage of staff was found passed out on the floor some hours after she had gotten out of her room, I was incandescent with rage and I am struggling to hold back that rage as we speak. The Morrison government continually says we have to learn to live with COVID, continually talks about rat testing and opening up and all these platitudes, all of this nonsense, yet they oppose free rats. They have not helped the states with their plans to reopen schools, which are due to go back. They have resisted and ignored calls by the union movement to provide free rats in those high care, high need environments and then across the whole economy. But there's things we can do. There are things we can do because we shouldn't just get angry. We should get active and organise and mobilise. You know, more people signed the petition to have free and accessible rats for every Australian who needs them than any other petition the union movement has ever run. The union movement is now running ads and running a campaign to get people to write to their MP. You can go to australianunions.org.au. It's a really easy tool. I'd encourage everyone to do it. Whether Whether you're in a marginal seat or a safe seat, a Labor seat or a Liberal seat, national, whatever, doesn't matter. Let your MP know so that when Parliament does go back in a week or two's time, there Don't is Don't give them any plausible deniability. They need to know. And, and you know, it. you can say, and we can say, well, they must know. Of course they know. Well, of course they do. But this, we've seen it time and again with the Morrison government, this rejection of reality, this, oh, well, I wasn't aware. Oh, Jenny didn't tell me about that. Like, as though somehow or another... They don't get media clippings every day, two or three times a day in their inbox, as though they don't have teams of people who provide them with single-page executive summaries in dot point, probably size 15 font, because really they can't deal with much more than that at a time. No matter how you cut it, they're aware of it. But let's not give them any public deniability. Let's make sure they're aware do the emails, get onto it, check it out. There's a TV ad there as well. It's so infuriating. I'm, I just, I get so You always so angry. know when Ben is angry because he puts full stops between each of the words he says because he's trying not to totally lose his noodle. I just, I want to remind people too that, you know, we've talked about aged care, we've talked about, uh, disability support workers, uh, obviously teachers we just touched on briefly, uh, but it's also in logistics, I- every workplace. And the bit of a theme for today's episode, really, you know, we started talking about safety of women and whatever workplace you're in, really anywhere in Australia, you should always be safe. But there are specific laws about the workplace and you can Get a briefing on your rights about that from Sally McManus, the leader of the trade union movement. Tomorrow at 12.30 in the afternoon, there's a webinar, or at 6.30 in the afternoon, there's a webinar. These are Eastern Seaboard Times, so WA, uh, please check the, the local times. The But wherever you are in the country, you can log in, you can do this. I really encourage it because there are specific laws, and it's not... 
it's not as easy as going, I don't feel safe and walking out, right? There are there are ways in which this has to be done properly to protect you. And that's one of the reasons why being in your union is so important because it gives you access to how to do things to keep yourself safe. And of course, this briefing is for everyone. They've, they've opened this up to everyone, um, such as the benevolence of union members in this country. They want everyone to be safe, whether you're a member or not. It's sort of not surprising given our belief systems. Van, we believe society exists. That's right. Society is real and it exists. Van, I want to talk about Australia and Survival Day because there is some good news here um, to this talk about. This made Ben very happy, this piece of news, and it's a story of transformational social change. So as people might know, I grew up in Ballarat and come from Ballarat. My family is still in Ballarat. And when I was a kid, Australia Day in Ballarat meant fireworks and flag waving and sitting on the grass at night watching the fireworks over Lake Wendouree. Well, there are no fireworks over Lake Wendouree tonight, but there has been a Survival Day memorial service at at dawn in Ballarat and thousands and thousands of people turned out to commemorate the survival of Indigenous Australians from the dispossession and genocidal policies of colonial Australia and the impact that that has had and is still having to this day. And that is, I think, a really good piece of news about how we can transform society. We can take things forward. Um, I want to talk also about the fact that this happens in a context where the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra is celebrating its 50th year And Ben and I would like to express our solidarity with the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also that even conservative media outlets like News.com have started talking about changing the date of Australia Day. You know, there's... The conversation in this country is moving away from Australia Day is a tradition and has to be protected at all costs. Because it isn't and it doesn't. To how do we actually want to celebrate Australia and make that inclusive? And there was a really good and important piece. Make Australia Day about all Australians? What witchery is this? Well, there was a good, important piece by Thomas Mayer in the Channel 9 newspapers. We also love Tos- Thomas Mayer, good union comrade. From He's from the MUA, uh, really strong voice for the Statement from the Heart, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. And he talks about making the the adoption of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the constitutional recognition of Australia's first people as the day, rather than setting up a fake committee of three Aboriginal people from somewhere and three white people from somewhere to pick a random day. And, like, you know, all well-meaning stuff, right? Like news.com's Instagram um, talking about making it May 8 because that sounds a bit like mate. Like, all well-meaning, right? Don't want to take away people having the conversation. News Day, which is the Anniversary Federation, also a very good day to have off. All great conversational ways to move the conversation forward. Fantastic. Thomas Mayer's piece is really worth a read because it places the historical context. It talks about what actually happened when colonial settlers arrived, what happened to the Indigenous population, what happened to their culture and their societies, and what acknowledging that as part of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and through constitutional recognition would mean and how that would actually begin to bind us all together as a nation, and that that would be something worth celebrating as a beginning point. And that's really, in my mind, when I think about Australia Day, I I think, I don't think about January 26th, I think ideologically a national day is the day of beginning of nationhood. And I read that piece today and was really moved by it, because it just nails that point of beginning. So want to just give that that context to, to all of this. But Van, let's talk about the new Australian of the year. 
Dylan freaking Orcott. I love him. And he's Australian of the Year. 15 uh, quad singles titles. He has played um, quad tennis on behalf of his country, quad basketball in front of his country. He's one of Australia's most decorated sporting heroes. He is one of only three people in history to win a Golden Slam. That is... All four major Grand Slam events of the tennis uh, yearly calendar, the Australian Open, French Open, US Open and Wimbledon, plus an Olympic gold medal in the same year. The dude is made entirely of gold. He's a disability advocate, a justice advocate, a DJ, emotional speaker and just one of the best people ever. And he commemorated his appointment by saying... Um, absolutely. I think it's absolutely important that we fight to protect the NDIS and sent a selfie of him and who was he in the selfie with Ben? Grace who was time. he in the selfie with Grace Tame from the ceremony today? And I was just like, this is why I love this country. This is why I love this community. He also called for free rapid antigen tests. Of course he did, because he's Dylan <laughs> freaking Orcott and he is superb. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. But you are going to do the good environment news story this week because it's also a local story. Yes, it is. And I just before we do that, I just want to quickly shout out to the Senior Australian of the Year, Val Dempsey, who was named Senior Australian of the Year after 50 years of service to St John's Ambulance Service. So congratulations to you, Val. And Dr Daniel... Noor. Dr Daniel Noor. I apologise, Dr Noor, uh, for my uh, pausing there on pronunciation. It was named Young Australian of the Year after founding Streetside Medics, which provides free medical services to people who are homeless. And very briefly, the story behind that is that he saved a person who was having a seizure uh, in his final year as a, a medical student and realised that the person uh, didn't have any access to medical care because they were homeless uh, and so set this up. And that's a fantastic, what fantastic a superb story. human being. Right? Just amazing. Just amazing. So I want to give them quick shout-outs too because as much as we love Dylan Orcott and rightly Australian of the Year gets I'm sorry, I got a lot of the attention, I just want to make sure that, that those two very worthy individuals uh, get, some, get some limelight as well because it's well-deserved. Uh, but... The good news is on rivers, Van. The environmental good news is on rivers, and it's on the Yarra River, the iconic Yarra River, which runs through the centre of Melbourne. The big brown ribbon. For those uh, for those listeners who are frustrated by uh, by not having more news about WA and Queensland and places outside of Victoria, please feel free to send us some environmental stories. I'd love to hear a good South Australian environment story. I'm just putting it out there. It would be great because we got this one about the Yarra River because the, the local MP, the state MP for Northcote, uh, Kat Theophanis, the Labor MP there, uh, worked with the Alphington Paper Mill Action Group. The paper mill, of course, 19th century, industrial revolution, highly polluting, dumping stuff into the river. You know, the Yarra River is not naturally when, brown. Back when Australia had local manufacturing. Um, owns this, there's this big, Private development going to happen there. Of course, the riverbank uh, is being degraded. And so the local action group, the local MP, Kat Theophanis, have worked really hard, got the state government to agree to take control of the land, make it crown land, and give it to the Yarra City Council to manage and restore and basically help improve the health of the Yarra River. It's a big slice of riverbank. It'll have an impact on the quality of the water as well. And of course, it means that that area is then protected for future generations and future residents. Not to mention wildlife that may, just may, be able to live there. It's a fantastic news story. If you've got rivers or waterways or other uh, environmental regeneration happening in your area, let us know. Send us an email, uh, theweekonwednesday at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear them. Uh, They're such an important thing for us to remember uh, every week. Van, before we finish the show, it it has been a huge, huge... Uh, week in Australian politics. Uh, today has been an, a hugely emotional day for many, many Australians. But I really want to acknowledge, as we do at the end of every show, our cadre and extending the reach supporters. These are people who are 
giving us money every month to help get the message out, to help cover the cost of the show. And Van, could you please do the honours of reading out our cadre supporters? Huge thanks from both of us. The cadre, Leona Gibbons, someone, Pauline Bate, Donna Chapman, I don't have Twitter, my name is... Susan Myers, at Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Cara and Will Robinson, Nerissa Simon, at Catagal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew Hadley, at Narunga Man, Sam Pigeon, John Sharpen, Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, slash Red, White, Blue, Lou. And also our extending the reach supporters are Greg Mart, Trina, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, and K Tui, Bo Sullivan, Elaine and Andrew, Iva Spillett, Jennifer Berkeley, Andrew Bryan, Tamara James, Peter O. C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Keir Pedersen, Lizette Twizzle, Bunkum Basher, Katie Ward, Daniel Slavin, at the real Neville Longbody, Sandy Bomegart at Not Sandy B, Melody Patterson, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Joe Lapino, Steph and Rachel Fitzpatrick. Can I just say on the names alone, this is an awesome party. <laughs> and just remember, if you do become a contributor uh, at the Extend the Reach level or Cadre level, we will read out the name that you provide. <laughs> so uh, if, if the name that you put in there, that's the one that we will read out. So please, uh, we obviously we have uh, some limits. We can't say anything obscene. Uh, but nobody has done that. So thank you to those We just supporters. think you're all great. And to all the people who share the show and recommend it to friends Absolutely. and colleagues and comrades. Awesome. And That's what we're here for. And those supporters who are making a contribution every month, um, who are making the buck a week contribution, it's hugely, hugely valued. Uh, it really has helped our reach. We have got more listeners uh, in the first 20 days of 2020 than we had for all of December. Uh, and that's because of the work that you're all doing, either supporting us financially to get the message out or sharing, talking about, commenting. You know, the, the week on Wednesday exists because of the audience. And that's you people listening at home, in the car, on your walk. I love hearing the stories. People send me stories all the time. I'm going to take the dog for a walk and listen now. I've had a listen on the beach, I've listened on the train. It's great. Keep it coming, folks. We love it. Thank you so much for your support. All right. So it's the end of the show. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. Are you exhausted? Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye.